many of y'all know, for the last several weeks, we've been going through this series of foundations, and uh, today we're going to wrap up that series with coming to the end game in mind, the purpose, the what's the point of it all, is, is we've walked through different things. And we began this series with the understanding of Jesus' teaching at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus gives us uh, the knowledge of what a wise and foolish builder is and what, how they built upon a strong foundation of the rock. Both the wise and foolish builder in Matthew chapter 7, both hear the Word of God. The difference is the wise builder applied the Word of God. In other words, the wise builder lived out the Word of God. And so everything we do in life, we have that same principle whether we recognize it or not. We all live our life uh, with a purpose in mind. We want to see something accomplished, something to come to fruition. For example, if you're a parent, you raise your kids a certain way, that you want them to be able to develop certain characters, certain traits, certain morals, so that by the time they become adult, they would be a well-rounded individual. At least that's the hope. Um, we, we set budgets within our families because we want to be able to uh, either get out of debt or be able to use the money which God has blessed us with uh, to do things that would be enjoyable for those things. We have to-do lists around the house or honey-do lists where we sit, sit out to accomplish something that needs to be done either around the house or at work, um, all with an end goal in mind. Uh, we go on diets. Uh, we attempt to get healthier, either to uh, lose weight or just to feel better about ourselves. So there's an end goal. You know, a lot of us have kids in sports, and so we take them to practice so they can be coached, they can learn the game with the hope that they may win a few in the end, right? And so we understand this idea that there needs to be a purpose, because without a purpose in what we've done for the last six weeks, it can become rather frustrating. And if you set out to do any of these things and you've not reached or accomplished your goal, it can be rather frustrating. For example, last several weeks, Jamie and I have decided we're going to start eating healthier and try to be a little more active and watching what we eat. Well, the first week we did it, I'll brag about myself, man, seven pounds down. Boom! Yeah! This week, I behaved myself, and I gained three. That's frustrating, because I know all the things I wanted to eat, but decided not to eat, and uh, still came away with not what I wanted to ha see happen. And when we don't see results in our life, it, be it becomes frustrating. The same thing happens in our walk with God and our relationship through Jesus Christ. When we don't see results that need to be coming to fruition, we can become rather frustrated in our relationship with God. Unfortunately, in my time in ministry, in my time uh, dealing with people in the church, a lot of Christians, a lot of believers, don't actually know what the end goal is. What is the purpose of it all? Why do we learn about these things? Why do we learn about the stories? Why do we memorize Scripture? Why do we sing songs that have Scriptures in them? Why do we talk about knowing who God is and Jesus is and the Spirit is and what the Gospel is and Christianity is and the church? Why do we spend all this time doing it and so we become very frustrated? So today we're going to focus on the end goal of not only our life as a Christian, but of this uh, series, Foundations. And to do that... I'd like to encourage you to make your way to the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're really going to be focusing in on uh, several verses here, beginning in verse 11 of chapter 5 and working our way to chapter 6 in verse 1. And the word of the Lord says, Therefore, 
Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what we are is known to God. And I hope it is known also to your conscience. Verse 12, we are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us. So you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who might live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on the behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. To understand what is going on, because we're really jumping right into the middle of the letter that the Apostle Paul was led to write by the Spirit to the believers in Corinth. One baseline we can understand about the believers in Corinth and the church in Corinth is there were a lot of issues going on. Hence, Paul writes two letters. We know from Scripture he actually wrote a third. We just do not have that in the Bible. But Paul's letter to the church here is a letter of love, but in the midst of this loving these, these believers that make up the body of the church in Corinth, there's also a lot of message of rebuke toward the church. See, the church had become impacted by outside forces that had begun to impact and infect the body of believers. In short, the believers in Corinth were not acting Christ-like. And this is the fuel to which Paul's led to write the believers. He's trying to correct the ship. He's trying to get them back on course. He's trying to let them understand this is the purpose to which you are here. This is why Christ saved you. This is why you are reconciled to God. Here it is. You're not doing it. Now let's get your act together. He loves them, but at the same time, he's got to correct them. I think we do that with our kids a lot as parents. We love them, but sometimes we just got to give them the right hand of fellowship on their hind end, right? Amen. Now, in reading through Paul's letters, you're going to encounter this word, if you look back in verse 11, therefore. The word therefore is a concluding statement. And if you read through any of Paul's letters, you're going to find that word. We saw at least three times in the passage we read this morning. Therefore means in conclusion or because of. And so when you read that word, even though we have chapter breaks and verse breaks, we need to understand that Paul is continuing a line of thought that he's already begun. For here in verse 11, what Paul is saying, therefore, in conclusion of, begins back in his conversation that he wrote in chapter 4, which extends from chapter 3. 
What Paul was reminding the believers is that now they stand under the new covenant of God through the blood of Jesus Christ, that they are now saved because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, and they have been set apart by God, so they are no longer to look to the present and everything that's going around them, and instead they are to be eternal thinkers and have an eternal perspective. He wanted to change their worldly views to an eternal view so that they could persevere. See, the church in Corinth was going through a massive persecution. Not only were they persecuting each other within the church, but people from outside the church were coming in and speaking a false doctrine and pulling those away from the faith. So Paul here in verse 11, he says, Therefore, the meaning is, Now since you know the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is that they have become aware of the wrath of God upon sin. They have become aware that Jesus Christ took their sin and God's wrath for their sin upon the cross in His death and His resurrection. And now that you are aware, it's not to have like a, a fear if you watch a scary movie or to be afraid of the dark. It's to be in awe and reverence of what God has done for you. And since you are aware of this, you now should be living in accordance to this. In other words, as Christians, there is a certain way in which we are to be living in response to God's grace, His love, and His mercy. And Scripture lays that out over and over again. And what Paul has to write a majority of times in his letters is that you believers are not living appropriately. You're not living in appropriate response to God's love for you, and therefore, things have to change. So Paul says there, therefore knowing the fear of the Lord, therefore knowing the wrath of God upon sin, we persuade others, but what we are is known to God. What he's stating there is you are known to God in a very special, intimate manner. It's not that God doesn't know people who aren't saved, but God looks at those who have professed Jesus Christ and the Lord and Savior as His. They're His children. They are known to God in a very intimate way that those without Jesus cannot be known to God that way. They have been given a special relationship. They have been given a revelation of holiness of God, a revelation of the sacrifice of Jesus. They have been given the Holy Spirit inside of them. They have received the gospel. They are now called God's people who are Christians. They have now formed the church. This is everything that we've talked about for the last six weeks. And so Paul's now drawing the conclusion, therefore, I hope this is also known in your conscience, meaning I hope you are now aware of this, and I hope you are now living in response to it. You jump with me in verse 12. What we find here is that Paul is dealing with this issue of committing ourselves to you again, but giving you a cause to boast about us. See, Paul's mission and Paul's ministry to the Corinth church was under attack. And because Paul was under attack, the believers in Corinth were attacking one another. And they are now turning to look at things according to the world or according to the flesh. They were living by the world's standards. And so there's all this disarray and all this disunity. And what Paul does is he draws the conclusion of this that I think we really need to, to get today in, in America. Worldly appearances do not matter in the big picture. All that matters is the heart of the individual and is that heart right with an eternal holy God and it can only be right through the blood of Jesus Christ. But see, the people in Corinth, the church, was looking more worldly. They were looking more eternally. They were seeing, look what I can do. Look what I have. Look what I bring to the table instead of looking at the eternal picture. So Paul says in verse 13, 
For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. He's basically saying this is how we should act. We should not make sense to people of this world. Why? Because the love of Christ controls us. It compels us. It drives us. Because we have concluded this, meaning we have come to the understanding that one, being Jesus, he died for all. Therefore, all have died, meaning they have died to themselves. As Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. And he died for all that those who might live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Paul again draws his attention You're no longer to see things according to the flesh, but you are no longer see things according to the world's ways, but rather according to this restored relationship that you now have with Jesus Christ and with God through Jesus' sacrifice. This is now your perspective. But if we're honest, when we go through our life, this, this is our struggle. As we see things more by the world's views and the world's perspectives rather than the eyes of God and the eternal perspective. And so this is the issue that has begun corrupting the church. And if we're not careful, it will begin corrupting our own life and our family. And so Paul then brings us to a word and what we're going to be focusing on primarily for the rest of our time this morning, beginning in verse 16 of chapter 5. From now on, since we're controlled by the love of Christ and we live for Him now, therefore, there's our concluding statement again, because of this, We regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. That reading there in verse 17 meaning is completely done away with. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses or their sins against them, and entrusting to us, those who have placed our faith in Christ, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, And we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, working together with him then. We appeal to you, do not receive the grace of God in in vain. This word reconciliation is a word we're going to be focused on for our remaining time. S.E. Porter defines it as this. Reconciliation is the concept in which the enmity between God and humanity is overcome and peaceful relations are restored on the basis of the work of Christ. In other words, God's wrath towards us because of our sin and our sinful nature has been reconciled or has now been brought at peace between us and God all through Jesus Christ. And we now become who God originally created us and intended us to be. Reconciliation is similar to another word you may encounter through Paul's letters, and it's a word of justification. But both of them imply different things. Justification is a legal term. It is a term used in in the courts of law when someone would be just as if the sin or the error never happened. They would be acquitted of that. Justification happens instantaneous. 
When I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I am now justified before a holy God as if I never sinned in the first place. God no longer sees me in my sin, but he sees me in the righteousness of Christ. This is the gift of salvation. Nothing we can do to earn it, nothing we can do to keep it. It's simply God's love and mercy and grace towards us. Reconciliation is fueled from justification. But reconciliation is a continual act that the believer goes through in the living proof of their justification. Meaning by the way I live my life and understanding that I am now at harmony with God, how I act, how I treat people, how I talk to people, how I respond to things, that is proof that I have been reconciled to God and in continually being reconciled. The end goal here is to become Christ-like. It's to become godly. This is why God has saved us. So Paul writes there in verse 20, be reconciled to God. The first thing I want us to see this morning is that reconciliation first begins in my relationship to God. It is simply God loves you. He loves me and he loves everybody on this planet. So much did he send his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. He died on a cross. He was put in a tomb. He rose again that we could be forgiven, justified, and then reconciled, brought back into harmony to which sin separated us. Without this reconciliation happening, we are lost. And without this understanding of reconciliation, I am going to be off not only with God, but off with every single individual in my life and every single thing that comes into my life because I won't see it through God's perspective. I'll see it through a worldly perspective. And I will try to handle that situation or that person by my own means. But reconciliation reminds me that I am now at peace and in harmony with God simply because God is for me, not against me, and He loves me. Reconciliation is the fuel to songs like Amazing Grace because it's nothing we deserve and God continues to do this work in us because reconciliation also speaks about God's grace to the believer in the day-to-day situations. See, it's not just an eternal thing, but God continues to reconcile us to himself every single day that we wake up. Paul begins to speak of this in Romans chapter 5 and again in Ephesians chapter 2. See, God isn't just worried about your eternal destination. A lot of people classify their Christianity or their salvation. It means I'm going to heaven. And you'd be absolutely correct. But God is also concerned about your day-to-day and how you are living in response to God's incredible gift of salvation and the forgiveness of sins. See, the end game is heaven. But right now we have to live in the act of God reconciling us to himself, bringing us back into harmony. Because if we're honest, some of us woke up this morning and we already did something we shouldn't have. Reconciliation not only impacts my relationship with God in my day-to-day, but it impacts uh, how I handle myself at work, how I handle myself with my friends, how I handle my sins, how I handle my backsliding. See, what reconciliation does is God gives reconciliation to us. He reconciles us, brings us to harmony. So when I know that I have fallen in sin and I have backslid, what reconciliation does is allows me to be, live in that new creation. I don't have to live there anymore because I know that I am reconciled. I am at harmony here and forever. Reconciliation gives me the victory because it reminds me that Jesus Christ has overcome anything that it comes into my life. 
Reconciliation allows me to wake up tomorrow, no matter how bad this day may be. I can wake up tomorrow and it can be a new day. I can start that day as a new creation in Christ in complete forgiveness of what Jesus has done for me. This is the power of reconciliation. It's to be continual in our lives. So anytime we struggle, anytime we wrestle, anytime we're going through darkness and and hard times, we turn and say, you know what? I am reconciled to God. I am at peace with God. I am in harmony with God. And I live in that. And that is my power. That is my motivation. That is my strength to get through. Basically what reconciliation does is it gives us the hope to pick ourselves back up again and to face each and every new day as a child of God. I've asked Kim to come up and share a song.
everything for your good. Tell your heart to beat again. Close your eyes and breathe it in. Let the shadows fall away. Step into the light of grace. That's the power here of reconciliation. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, beginning in 19, says, He is the head of the body. I'm sorry, in verse 19, he says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, speaking of Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, this is now us and the original readers here in Colossians, you once were alienated, you once were hostile in mind, you once were doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you now holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister of. See, this reconciliation isn't just us being reconciled to God for our eternal salvation, but it's to fuel us in the day-to-day. You're going to go through tough times. You're going to go through struggles and troubles. These are the storms to which Jesus speaks about in Matthew 7. They're going to come. The way to get through these storms is to make a foundation upon the rock and remembering who God is, who Jesus is, what the Holy Spirit is, what I'm called to. It's to change from a worldly perspective of of the here and now but to an eternal perspective. That these trials and tribulations and these troubles come to remind us that this is not our home. Yes, we face things that we don't like. Yes, we face things that we wish would have gone differently, and we end up with questions of why this happened. But because God is reconciled to ourselves, it is a reminder that this world is not my home, and this is not the end, and this is not God's end game. Reconciliation impacts my day-to-day, but it also, if you look back in 2 Corinthians, it is to impact my relation to God's people. Reconciliation is to speak of the grace and the cross. And it should impact how we live with one another as a body of believers. If you look in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 5, Jesus tells us that since we have now come to this understanding that God has reconciled us to to Himself, all because of what He did and His love for us through Jesus Christ, 
then there is no means and no grounds for us as believers to hold grudges or to be angry with one another. What we do and we do that is we show that we do not understand God's reconciliation. And it's what Paul writes there in verse 6 is we take the grace of God in vain. See, as believers, we are called, if we have something going on in our midst, someone aggravates us, someone says something, we are to go to that person and we are to reconcile our differences. That doesn't mean it always ends the way you want it to, but this is part of the ministry of reconciliation that we have been given by God. You also understand if we look in first or Second Corinthians, that reconciliation is to impact my relation to all people, not just believers, but the people that God brings into my life. Since we are now know the fear of the Lord, as Paul began in verse 11, and we are now known to God, we are called to persuade others. In other words, since I know that God is holy, that's where we started, right? God is holy. And since I'm aware of God's holiness, And I'm aware that out of God's holy wrath, sin has to be dealt with. But because God is for me and He loves me, He sent Jesus Christ to die for my sins, and I'm aware of that now. And I'm aware by my confession of faith that I have now been given the Holy Spirit, and I have received the gospel, and I am now a child of God, a Christian, and I am part of the local body. Since I'm aware of all those things and everything that God did for me, nothing I did, nothing I brought to the table, I now am aware that if people do not have this same knowledge, they're going to hell. They're lost. And so my message and my ministry now is to bring others back into harmony with God through Jesus Christ. Paul deals with the remainder of his letter in 2 Corinthians in allowing the believers to understand how God reconciled himself and now how this should change their morals, their characters, their their character, their ethics, their behavior, and their actions, not only with believers but with everyone else that is looking on. And so in verse 20 of chapter 5, he says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, and we implore you on the behalf of Christ, be reconciled for God. In other words, we don't see things now according to the flesh, but we see that God has now given us a ministry and given us a message that there is hope, that there is a means for our sins to be atoned for. And so Paul uses this word ambassador, which the people in Corinth would have been familiar with. Many of us are familiar with that word. It means to be a representative. The word that Paul uses is a word in the Roman world. What would happen is when Rome was conquering nations and conquering people groups, there would be an individual that Caesar would commission with the authority of Caesar upon him, and they would send him into this newly conquered people, and they would go and teach them the ways of the Roman world. A lot of times these people groups would be resistant. They didn't want to be under Roman rule. So an ambassador's job would be to learn the culture, learn the people, get to know the people, and then teach them in the way so they could too be at harmony with the Roman world and, and begin to become successful. The word that Paul uses here, he now applies it to the Christian life. 
And what he's saying is because we understand who God is, who Jesus is, and we understand all these things that God has now entrusted us. He has given us the authority as his representatives to bring people of this world who are hostile to God, who don't want God to be the Lord of their life and master of life, but he has entrusted us to go and to learn their culture to learn who they are, to learn where they are, and to bring them into harmony with God just as we have been brought into harmony with God. That's what God does for us. That's what he calls us to. In other words, this idea of reconciliation isn't just to get us by day to day, but it's also a call for us to be in evangelism, to share about the hope that we have found. And Paul draws his conclusion, and this one hit me right in the gut this week. In verse 6, he says, We're working together with him. Then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. What Paul is led to write here and the Spirit is speaking to our hearts is saying that grace doesn't just impact our eternity, but it impacts our current living because we are in grace, we are to live by grace, and we are to continually to show grace and to not be a part of this ministry of reconciliation with the message is to take the grace that God has given us and brush it off like it was nothing. We have a hope that this world is looking for. You want to know why the world is in such turmoil and chaos? It's because they're looking to all these other things that can only satisfy them for a moment. Some of y'all are here today and you're doing the exact same thing. You're turning to drugs alcohol, you're turning to relationships to give you a satisfaction that can only be found in Jesus Christ. And if you continue to do that, you will continue to self-destruct. And that's what we see playing out in the world on a much larger scale. Paul says, for us who have been given salvation, we have now been commissioned by God to go out and to share the hope that we have found. And if we don't, it's as if we receive God's grace in vain. Like it didn't mean anything to us. So what do we do with this if we have done it? If we have accepted Jesus Christ? Our reason for existing is God. He is our source. Jesus is our means. And justification, reconciliation, salvation is found in Christ alone. So all we do as believers now is we represent Christ. Whether you preach, whether you teach, wherever you find yourself this week, wherever you find yourself the remainder of this day, you represent Christ. That's how much God has entrusted us with. And so people are to look the way we behave, the way we act, the way we treat each other and the way we treat others as a representation of the gospel that we have found. If you're here this morning and if you've yet to accept Jesus Christ, here's what this means to you. And I want to say this in the most loving way possible. If you've yet to accept Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, you are not reconciled to God and you're not in harmony with God and you're lost. And the Bible says that you are destined for hell. But this is not God's will for your life. God's plan for your life is that you would be saved And in this moment, you may be here for some reason. Someone invited you, someone brought you, or someone drug you to church. But understand that God has a much bigger picture in mind, and He brought you here to this moment to begin a relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. The Bible says that all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of God's holiness. And because we all sin, we all do things that we wish we didn't, 
That is going to separate us from God not only today, but for eternity. And unless that is dealt with, we will be lost. The Bible says that Jesus Christ died for all sins. And he rose again that all could be forgiven. And this comes by a faith in Jesus Christ that he alone saves. That he alone pardoned us. So the Bible tells us if I believe that I need it, I may not fully understand it, but I believe I need that and I have yet to accept it. The Bible says I need to confess Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. It's not by anything you bring to the table. It's all because God loves you. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. If you're here this morning and this is something you need to do, I'd like everybody to close your eyes and bow your head. And God has revealed this to heart. Here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to pray this prayer. If you've not accepted Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, I'd like you to just pray this prayer to God. You don't have to pray it out loud. Say, God, I am a sinner. And I need forgiveness. I believe Jesus died for my sins and rose again that I could be forgiven. And I confess him as my Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer, here a moment we're going to start to sing and everybody's going to stand up. And what I'm going to ask you to do is to step out of the aisle and come down and meet me. And all you have to say is, Pastor Mike, I prayed that prayer and I accepted Jesus. Father, I ask you just give us the strength we need in this moment. Lord, forgive us as your people when we have lost sight. We become more worldly than eternal. Lord, you have placed people in our lives. You've drawn them to yourself through us for some strange reason. We could bring hope into their lives. We could share how we've been reconciled by your love and your grace and your mercy. Nothing we've done simply because you love us. So, Lord, as we prepare to head out into this world, let us take this message. Let us take all this knowledge, all this understanding we've acquired over the last couple weeks or maybe just today. Let us take it out to the world and be the light and salt you command us to be. Forgive us, Lord, where we have received your gospel and your grace in vain. We've kept our mouths shut. We've just watched as people pass us by on their way to hell. Lord, let us be proactive about your mission. Not only as people, but as a church. I thank you so much, Lord, that you have made us at peace with you. Something we don't deserve. Lord, I pray right now for those who have confessed you as Lord and Savior and prayed to you this morning. Not to anybody else, but to you. Just let it be known they want you as their Savior. They want to be saved. They want to be at harmony with you. They want to, they want to be at peace with you. Why should you just give them the courage right now to, to step out of the aisle and come down and, and let it be known? Thank you, Lord, for your saving grace. Thank you for loving us despite ourselves at times. Lord, let us respond appropriately in our worship now as we lift your name up. We praise all in Jesus' name.